Chapter Twenty Five of Izzy Popenjoy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas Clifford. Izzy Popenjoy by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Twenty Five. Lady Susanna in London. In spite of the caution which he had received from his friend and cousin Mrs. Houghton. Jack de Baron did go to Munster Court, during the absence of Lord George, and there did encounter Lady Susanna. And Mrs. Houghton herself, though she had given such excellent advice, accompanied him. She was, of course, anxious to see Lady Susanna, who had always especially disliked her, and Jack himself was desirous of making the acquaintance of a lady who had been, he was assured, sent up to town on purpose to protect the young wife from his wiles. Both Mrs. Houghton and Jack had become very intimate in Munster Court, and there was nothing strange in their dropping in together even before lunch. Jack was, of course, introduced to Lady Susanna. The two ladies grimaced at each other, each knowing the other's feelings toward herself. Mary, having suspected that Lady Susanna had been sent for in reference to this special friend, determined on being specially gracious to Jack. She had already, since Lady Susanna's arrival, told that lady that she was able to manage her own little affairs. Lady Susanna had said an unfortunate word as to the unnecessary expense of four wax candles when they two were sitting alone in the drawing-room. Lady George had said it was pretty. Lady Susanna had expostulated gravely, and then Lady George had spoken out. "'Dear Susanna, do let me manage my own little affairs. Of course the words had rankled, and of course the love which the ladies bore to each other had not been increased. Lady George was now quite resolved to show dear Susanna that she was not afraid of her duenna. "'We thought we'd venture to see if you'd give us lunch,' said Mrs. Houghton. "'Delightful!' exclaimed Lady George. "'There's nothing to eat, but you won't mind that.' "'Not in the least,' said Jack. I always think the best lunch in the world is a bit of the servant's dinner. It's always the best meat, and the best cooked, and the hottest served." There was plenty of lunch from whatsoever source it came, and the three young people were very merry. Perhaps they were a little noisy. Perhaps there was a little innocent slang in their conversation. Ladies do sometimes talk slang, and perhaps the slang was encouraged for the special edification of Lady Susanna but slang was never talked at Manor Cross or Cross Hall, and was odious to Lady Susanna. When Lady George declared that some offending old lady ought to be jumped upon, Lady Susanna winced visibly. When Jack told Lady George that she was the woman to do it, Lady Susanna shivered almost audibly. "'Is anything the matter?' asked Lady George, perhaps not quite innocently. It seemed to Lady Susanna that these visitors were never going away, and yet this was the very man as to whom her brother had cautioned her, and what an odious man he was, in Lady Susanna's estimation. A puppy, an absolute puppy, good-looking, impudent, familiar, with a light visage, and continually smiling. All those little gifts which made him so pleasant to Lady George were stains and blemishes in the eyes of Lady Susanna. To her thinking, a man, at any rate a gentleman, should be tall, dark, grave, and given to silence rather than to much talk. This Jack chattered about everything, and hardly opened his mouth without speaking slang. 
About half-past three, when they had been chattering in the drawing-room for an hour, after having chatted over their lunch for a previous hour, Mrs. Houghton made a most alarming proposition. "'Let us all go to Berkeley Square and play bagatelle.' "'By all means,' said Jack. "'Lady George, you owe me two new hats already.' "'Playing bagatelle for new hats?' Lady Susanna felt that if ever there could come a time in which interference would be necessary, that time had come now. She had resolved that she would be patient, that she should not come down as an offended deity upon Lady George, unless some sufficient crisis should justify such action. But now, surely, if ever, she must interpose. Playing at bagatelle with Jack de Baron for new hats, and she with the prospect before her of being Marchioness of Brotherton. "'It's only one,' said Lady George gaily, "'and I dare say I'll win that back to-day. Will you come, Susanna?' "'Certainly not,' said Lady Susanna, very grimly. They all looked at her, and Jack de Baron raised his eyebrows, and sat for a moment motionless. Lady Susanna knew that Jack de Baron was intending to ridicule her. Then she remembered that should this perverse young woman insist upon going to Mrs. Houghton's house with so objectionable a companion, her duty to her brother demanded that she also should go. "'I mean,' said Lady Susanna, that I had rather not go. "'Why not?' asked Mary. "'I do not think that playing bagatelle for new hats is, is the best employment in the world, either for a lady or for a gentleman.' The words were hardly out of her mouth before she herself felt that they were overstrained, and more than even this occasion demanded. "'Then we will only play for gloves,' said Mary. Mary was not a woman to bear with impunity such an assault as had been made on her. "'Perhaps you will not mind giving it up till George comes back,' said Lord George's sister. "'I shall mind very much. I will go up and get ready. You can do as you please.' So Mary left the room, and Lady Susanna followed her. "'She means to have her own way,' said Jack, when he was alone with his cousin. She is not at all what I took her to be, said Mrs. Houghton. The fact is, one cannot know what a girl is as long as a girl is a girl. It is only when she's married that she begins to speak out. Jack hardly agreed with this, thinking that some girls he had known had learned to speak out before they were married. They all went out together to walk across the parks to Berkeley Square, orders being left that the broom should follow them later in the afternoon. Lady Susanna had at last resolved that she also would go. The very fact of her entering Mrs. Houghton's house was disagreeable to her, but she felt that duty called her. And after all, when they got to Berkeley Square, no bagatelle was played at all. But the bagatelle would almost have been better than what occurred. A small parcel was lying on the table, which was found to contain a pack of pictured cards made for the telling of fortunes, and which some acquaintance had sent to Mrs. Houghton. With these they began telling each other's fortunes, and it seemed to Lady Susanna that they were all as free with lovers and sweethearts as though the two ladies had been housemaids, instead of being the wives of steady, well-born husbands. "'That's a dark man with evil designs, a wicked tongue, and no money,' said Mrs. Houghton, as a combination of cards lay in Lady George's lap. "'Jack, the lady with light hair, is only flirting with you. She doesn't care for you one bit.' "'I dare say not,' said Jack. "'And yet she'll trouble you awfully. Lady Susanna, will you have your fortune told?' "'No,' said Lady Susanna, very shortly. 
This went on for an hour before the brougham came, during the latter half of which Lady Susanna sat without once opening her lips. If any play could have been childish, it was this play, but to her it was horrible. And then they all sat so near together, and that man was allowed to put cards into her brother's wife's hand, and to take them out just as though they had been brother and sister, or playfellows all their days. And then, as they were going down to the brougham, the odious man got Lady George aside, and whispered to her for two minutes. Lady Susanna did not hear a word of their whispers, but knew that they were devilish. And so she would have thought if she had heard them. "'You're going to catch it,' Lady George,' Jack had said. "'There's somebody else will catch something if she makes herself disagreeable,' Lady George had answered. "'I wish I could be invisible and hear it,' had been Jack's last words. "'My dear Mary,' said Lady Susanna, as soon as they were seated, "'you are very young.' "'That's a fault that will mend of itself.' "'Too quickly, as you will soon find. But in the meantime, as you are a married woman, should you not be careful to guard against the indiscretions of youth? Well, yes, I suppose I ought, said Mary, after a moment of mock consideration. But then, if I were unmarried, I ought to do just the same. It's a kind of thing that is a matter of course without talking about it. She had firmly made up her mind that she would submit in no degree to Lady Susanna, and take from her no scolding. Indeed, she had come to a firm resolve long since, that she would be scolded by no one but her husband, and by him as little as possible. Now she was angry with him, because he had sent this woman to watch her, and was determined that he should know that, though she would submit to him, she would not submit to his sister. The moment for asserting herself had now come. "'A young married woman,' said the duenna, "'owes it to her husband to be peculiarly careful. She has his happiness and his honour in her hands.' and he has hers. It seems to me that all these things are matters of course." "'They should be, certainly,' said Lady Susanna, hardly knowing how to go on with her work, a little afraid of her companion, but still very intent. But it will sometimes happen that a young person does not quite know what is right and what is wrong. And sometimes it happens that old people don't know. There was Major Jones had his wife taken away from him the other day by the court, because he was always beating her, and he was fifty. I read all about it in the papers. I think the old people are just as bad as the young." Lady Susanna felt that her approaches were being cut off from her, and that she must rush out at once against the citadel if she meant to take it. "'Do you think that playing bagatelle is nice?' "'Yes, I do. Very nice.' Do you think George would like your playing with Captain de Baron? Why not with Captain de Baron? said Mary, turning round upon her assailant with absolute ferocity. I don't think he would like it. And then that fortune-telling. If you will believe me, Mary, it was very improper. I will not believe anything of the kind. Improper? A joke about a lot of picture-cards? It was all about love and lovers, said Lady Susanna not quite knowing how to express herself, but still sure that she was right. "'Oh, what a mind you must have, Susanna, to pick wrong out of that! All about love and lovers! So are books and songs and plays at the theatre. I suppose you didn't understand that it was intended as a burlesque on fortune-telling?' "'And I am quite sure George wouldn't like the kind of slang you were talking with Captain de Baron at lunch.' 
If George does not like anything, he had better tell me so, and not depute you to do it for him. If he tells me to do anything, I shall do it. If you tell me, I shall pay no attention to it whatever. You are here as my guest, and not as my governess, and I think your interference very impertinent." This was strong language, so strong that Lady Susanna found it impossible to continue the conversation at that moment. Nothing, indeed, was said between them during the whole afternoon, or at dinner, or in the evening, till Lady Susanna had taken up her candlestick. There had been that most clearly declared of all war which is shown by absolute silence. But Lady Susanna, as she was retiring to rest, thought it might be wise to make a little effort after peace. She did not at all mean to go back from what charges she had made. She had no idea of owning herself to be wrong. But perhaps she could throw a little oil upon the waters. Of course, she said, I should not have spoken as I have done, but for my great love for George and my regard for you. As far as I am concerned, I think it a mistaken regard, said Mary. Of course I shall tell George, but even to him I shall say that I will not endure any authority but his own. Will you hear me? No, not on this subject. You have accused me of behaving improperly with that man. I do think, began Lady Susanna, not knowing how to pick her words in this emergency, fearing to be too strong, and at the same time conscious that weakness would be folly. I do think that anything like—like—like flirting is so very bad. Susanna, said Lady George, with a start, as she heard the odious words, as far as I can help it, I will never speak to you again. There certainly had been no oil thrown upon the waters as yet. The next day was passed almost in absolute silence. It was the Friday, and each of them knew that Lord George would be home on the morrow. The interval was so short that nothing could be gained by writing to him. Each had her own story to tell, and each must wait till he should be there to hear it. Mary, with the most distant civility, went through her work of hostess. Lady Susanna made one or two little efforts to subdue her, but failing, soon gave up the endeavour. In the afternoon Aunt Jew called with her niece, but their conversation did not lessen the breach. Then Lady Susanna went out alone in the brougham, but that had been arranged beforehand. They ate their dinner in silence, in silence read their books, and met in silence at the breakfast-table. At three o'clock Lord George came home, and then Mary, running downstairs, took him with her into the drawing-room. There was one embrace, and then she began. "'George,' she said, "'you must never have Susanna here again.' "'Why?' said he. "'She has insulted me. She has said things so nasty that I cannot repeat them even to you.' She has accused me to my face of flirting. I won't bear it from her. If you said it, it would kill me, but of course you can say what you please. But she shall not scold me, and tell me that I am this and that, because I am not as solemn as she is, George. Do you believe that I have ever flirted?" She was so impetuous that he had been quite unable to stop her. Did you mean that she should behave to me like that? This is very bad, he said. What is very bad? Is it not bad that she should say things to me as that? Are you going to take her part against me? Dearest Mary, you seem to be excited. Of course I am excited. Would you wish me to have such things as that said to me, and not to be excited? You are not going to take part against me. I have not heard her yet. 
Will you believe her against me? Will she be able to make you believe that I have flirted? If so, then it is all over. What is all over? Oh, George, why did you marry me if you cannot trust me? Who says that I do not trust you? I suppose the truth is you have been a little flighty. Been what? I suppose you mean the same thing. I have talked and laughed and been amused, if that means being flighty. She thinks it wicked to laugh, and calls it slang, if every word doesn't come out of the grammar. You had better go and hear her, since you will say nothing more to me." Lord George thought so, too. But he stayed for a few moments in the dining-room, during which he stooped over his wife, who had thrown herself into an armchair, and kissed her. As he did so, she merely shook her head, but made no response to his caress. Then he slowly strode away, and went upstairs into the drawing-room. What took place there need not be recorded at length. Lady Susanna did not try to be mischievous. She spoke much of Mary's youth, and expressed a strong opinion that Captain de Baron was not a fit companion for her. She was very urgent against the use of slang, and said almost harder things of Mrs. Houghton than she did of Jack. She had never meant to imply that Mary had allowed improper attentions from the gentleman, but that Mary, being young, had not known what attentions were proper and what improper. To Lady Susanna the whole matter was so serious that she altogether dropped the personal quarrel. "'Of course, George,' she said, "'young people do not like to be told, but it has to be done. And I must say that Mary likes it as little as any person that I have ever known.' This multiplicity of troubles, falling together onto the poor man's back, almost crushed him. He had returned to town full of that terrible letter, which he had pledged himself to write, but the letter was already driven out of his head for the time. It was essentially necessary that he should compose this domestic trouble, and of course he returned to his wife. Equally, of course, after a little time she prevailed. He had to tell her that he was sure that she never flirted. He had to say that she did not talk slang. He had to protest that the fortune-telling cards were absolutely innocent. Then she condescended to say that she would for the present be civil to Susanna, but even while saying that she protested that she would never again have her sister-in-law as a guest in the house. You don't know, George, even yet, all that she said to me, or in what sort of way she behaved. End of chapter 25